0: Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, Joey Connect joins the show. This may be one of my favorite names in the business. Joey's a startup mentor and CEO of a company called Proteus. They're a high growth technology company that recently launched a new buyer enablement platform called Engaged. Joey and I probed deep into a topic we're both passionate about. You may have guessed it, buyer enablement. In our discussion, Joey expounds on how essential it is in helping founders grow their businesses and maintain good client relationships. We also discussed today, one, his journey towards becoming an advocate for buyer enablement and the critical role of market research in what it played in his development of the product. Maintain long-term relationships by justifying your value to the buyer. Invest early and often in customer success. Why it's important to stay in your lane and own what you do well. The secret sauce of expanding beyond your network. And last, but definitely not least, non-traditional tactics for growing your business. I think you will really enjoy this and get a lot of value out of this episode. As a favor, if you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please subscribe with the platform of your choice. Reviews and ratings are definitely nice, but the subscriptions really help. Thank you. And now on to the interview. hey good morning joey welcome to the podcast morning brad how are you sir i'm doing well super excited to get you on to uh to
1: talk some buyer enablement today i think it's a topic near and dear to, to both of our hearts but before we get into the the topic You know, why don't you give the audience a little bit of uh,
2: your background and and what you guys are working on today? Sure. I appreciate it and appreciate your listeners. Uh, So, yeah, as Brett said, Joey Connect, CEO of a company called Proteus. Uh, My background uh, has been extensively in uh, B2B SaaS products. So, as you know, this isn't our first rodeo, mine or yours. And so, we've been around a little bit. And so, technology world has changed dramatically dramatically. when we used to build products for clients back in the day, you know, the number one thing we were doing was buying servers, and and look how the cloud has transformed everything. But uh, our team has been involved in you know more than 150 enterprise B two B SaaS product developments, which was very successful for our group. Uh, but then, and we also spun off a venture capital wing, what we call venture tech, where we started to build products in joint partnership with our partners, and we had the fortunate opportunity to to spin off more than 12 companies there, killed a few because they just didn't didn't really make it. As you know, that's part of the business, but we've had unbelievable success with our portfolio. So that led us to a, a new product that we're working on now called Proteus Engage, which as you're aware is a buyer enablement product. and And we look like geniuses because we started this journey two years ago and started to really interview a lot of folks and align the fit. And I know we'll chat about this later, but that's really where we found that fundamentally there's just a big shift going on in B2B sales and the companies and sales reps and the buyers are not well equipped for that journey. And so we really went after that problem and and we're seeing great success with this new product that, that we're taking to market
1: yeah fantastic and yeah we 'll definitely get into the uh, the buyer enablement and the technology, and you know why I think that 's such a critical aspect right now, but before you know I think for the audience, I think it 's important to kind of share a little bit of the journey that got you to the buyer enablement platform yeah. because you and I actually had connected your first version, you were thinking about, you know, a customer advisory board 2.0, yep. right? Yeah, it was a uh, journey. I love right? that concept. But <laughs> Me
2: too. I still do. I still do, Brad. I still believe that there's still a product opportunity there. But uh, But I think the great part for your listeners is it's having passion about something, but also intently listening to the market and the potential customers. And so I appreciate you bring that up because some people might see that as failure and we saw it as tremendous opportunity. So As I mentioned earlier, we've built a lot of products for corporations and we have a proven model that we use to do that, which was validating the market, building a prototype, screenshots, pre-selling it, doing all these things for our corporate clients. Well, logically for ourselves, we, we did the same thing. So about two and a half years ago, uh, our board asked me to find a new product for us. And so I started that journey by going out and talking with lots of CISOs, vice president of sales and account folks, VP of accounts, and asking them kind of some of their key bleeding points. Well, one vein that we started this journey on was this concept of customer advisory boards. Obviously, tech companies that are proliferating have typically these kind of customer advisory boards, which help kind of guide, you know, the product development, the service development for the organization as they do it. Very mission critical piece to their organization and success. So I was like, ooh, that seems like a a pretty interesting nugget one because I love that kind of stuff because we had built so many products. So probably I had a little emotional connection to it, you know, where I was like, oh, I kind of like that too. So let's let's go down this rabbit trail a little bit. But quite frankly, after multiple months of of researching it, going to some national conferences and just looking at the economies and the mechanics of it, what we unfortunately found out is customer advisory board in a lot of companies is like a tier two interest or concern. And so when we're building new products and new companies, we want to typically have a direct line to revenue, not a soft dotted or or even loopy line. And what we found out is customer advisory board, unfortunately, and I don't support this, but frequently are shut down when times are bad or they really don't give it the effort that that truly needs to be there. And I'm not saying all companies and I don't wanna cause a firestorm on Twitter for you that Joey hates customer advisory board. No, <laughs> I love them. We're rolling out our own right now for Proteus Engage, but it was definitely a tier two bleeding point within the organization, if not a tier three. And and Brett, you and I know when you're investing and trying to build something, you wanna be much higher on that list for success. Well, that kind of then pivoted us to still talking to those same folks. And the conversation then came full circle to them saying, Joey, there's really a big shift happening in, in B2B SaaS sales where it used to be back back in the day, Brett, you and I could meet in Chicago, have a beer and pretty much get the deal done, do some contracting and move on to greener pastures. Mm -hmm. That has completely changed. Everybody now knows in a sales process, you might have anywhere from three to five people on the selling side and anywhere from literally 10 to 30 people on the buying side. So, cause they all have different roles, responsibilities, your internal champions, everybody. So this many to many ecosystem in B2B sales has created a tremendous problem for sales reps and most importantly, the buyers. And that's really where we're focusing a lot of our energy is, is, how do buyers want to experience the buying process? Because ultimately, they're in control. Like no one is selling anymore. You don't sell anybody anything. Nobody gets duped into buying a SaaS product, right, from a corporation. Right. It's consulting to help them get there. And the buyers are ultimately making the decision. So long story, but basically, we, we, we went down one vein realized that it wasn't strong enough necessarily to capitalize a super high growth product. But by talking to those same people, it unlocked the opportunity to which we know of today as Proteus Engage for buyer enablement. But it was because we really aligned to something that was extremely a bleeding point for those organizations.
1: Yeah. And there's so much value in that. And I think, you know, advice for founders of any stage at this point, right? Unless you're You're already scaling your business, but, you know, because you ended up with two fundamentally different products and two different kind of looks at both customer centric. Yep. But you found with the first path, again, which we both liked, (laughs) was it was more of a need to have or nice to have than a need to have for these organizations. And because of your research, you uncovered what was more of a need to have versus a nice to have. Which I'm going to super simplify and call it, you know, the bottom of the funnel, right? A lot of companies are really good at top of the funnel. Correct. It is a relative term, but there's tools yep. that help you at top. Once you start to move down, you got to became a much different conversation. So maybe you pivot back into that point that, hey, you got your research from the, these folks and said, all right, maybe we're going to pivot
0: a little bit. Then, then, you know, what was next?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's an amazing. So you're right. So we figured out that that qualified, the closed experience where was where a lot of these people were struggling. But even to help a lot of your partners again, because we've been involved in so many SaaS high growth companies, the first version of our product. So after we even found the right product, the first version of our product was too complicated. It involved too much design and creative, and it took too long to get deployed out for customers. So to even double down on the learning journey, which I completely believe in, is our first generation product that went out. So I sold it to 13 clients on screenshots. That's how I like to do things, because that truly validates, because a lot of people will tell you they like your idea, very few people will pay for your idea. So once you get people paying for your idea, now we're becoming kind of real and legit. So we sold it to 13 enterprises for a fair chunk of money, built the first version, but again, going back to that kind of methodology of listening to your customers, we got them going and they're like, this is, a, it's very complex. It was just too many moving pieces. Just, we needed more of a streamlined experience. And so we worked with those first batch of customers to come up with generation two of Proteus and Engage. And of course we're on like generation five now, but we did it with those first batch of customers. And ironically, we moved all of them to the next generation, of course, shortly after that. And that's really when the rubber hit the road for us. So I, I think that's the key point here, Brett too. It's its not just finding the opportunity, It's also So once you've found the opportunity, the product is always going to be pivoting and morphing depending on where it is. And for instance, for us, we started with helping these organizations with new business development, right? Using our tool for Qualified to close. But then as we had customers, they're like, Joe, we're loving this for qualified to close of our new clients. And then they said, well, why wouldn't we use this for cross-selling all of our current clients? Because this is creating a relationship between us and our current clients where we can cross-sell them, which is equally a big problem for us moving forward. And so then naturally, The product through the use of our clients has now evolved into helping two sides of the sales process, new business development, new logos coming into the org. And then a big bleeding point area for these groups, too, is cross-selling to their current client base and, and maintaining those relationships. So we're really now doing both sides, which we would have never have gotten to if we weren't actively working with our customers, them feeling comfortable saying feedback to us. One of our values in our corporation is candid. And so all of our initial customers, I really stress that we want to hear your, your, your feedback. We don't, don't pocket it in and just quit, Uh, you know, like tell us what's going on. We can, we we can work this out, right. We can try to figure something out to make everybody successful. And we're just very blessed that that initial batch of customers really helped us, you know, get over the line and really get into a super strong rhythm of product and, and opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think even, you know, one of the things that I've, I found with your product that I think that you, you just kind of touched on you talked about from a cross sell, but I think where, again, going back to the customer is even the customer success or, you know, back you and I mm-hmm. started, it was account management, then it was client services, now customer success that, you know, this is a platform that can kind of transition from the buying process, all right, now you've helped the buyer enable them to purchase, now they're customers, now it becomes more of a customer enablement type of a tool. And you, bet. you know, one of the things and we've had conversations about this is, you know, too many organizations, I don't want to say give up once they sell a customer, but they, they throw do. them over the fence and yep. it's a secondary after totally. afterthought. And you know, yep. a good way to churn is man, if the customer's not using your product or service, cool. so.
2: And that's another great point, Brett, around that with a lot of your your startups, too, is you got to also remember a lot of the times in a SaaS startup or high growth company, a lot of times you might be selling into one user type. What I mean is you're selling into maybe the C-suite or the decision makers. Here's the problem. They don't actually use your product. So you convince them to buy your product for the corporation and great. Then you deploy with them. So your client success team now takes over the relationship, but that client success team is actually working with the frontline users. So now you have a gigantic disconnect from the people you convinced of your value to the people using it. So then you'll go to your client success team and they'll be like, they love our product, right? They're using it. Everything's great. But then all of a sudden nobody in leadership sees that transformed value, right? So how do you maintain that relationship with the key decision makers to help justify your investment? Obviously, they're paying you. So how do you justify your account plan? What is your like quarterly business review process? How are you identifying new utilization opportunities of the product? How do you identify new product ideas? Again, going back to those same leaders and saying, hey, Frankie, hey, Jessica, what, what else could we be doing for your organization to help you grow within our product? Boom, new product ideas for you. And they feel connected to you and and justify why they're spending that money with you, which is how you keep that lifetime value of the customer extremely longer. And that was really the breakthrough for a lot of our clients is they're like, no, we talk to our customers. And we're like, no, you're talking to your users. You're not talking to the buyers. The buyers were probably a part of a leadership team that has been completely disconnected since they signed up with you more than a year ago. And quite frankly, probably two of them have left and they have no idea who you are. And that's a gigantic problem when your bill starts to show up on that quarterly or renewal basis and you're having those oh crap renewal meetings where you're like, I hope they resign, right? It's because you have no relationship and you haven't been justifying your value. That's the part we really unlocked for a ton of clients is how do you maintain that relationship long-term?
1: That's awesome and I think it even goes back to when we, we started the conversation on buyer enablement and taking an outside in versus an inside out look at what your your customers are doing and it is an ecosystem. I love that definition of you're selling into, right? It's not, you can think of it as three individuals but if you think of it as a business and, and you know, the CFO needs risk mitigation, right? If I'm gonna write a check for this software or this product or this consulting engagement, you know, where is that mitigated? Then use you, to your point, you know, the leadership that's paying for yeah. this one to make sure they get the return and the users are better be getting the good experience. And I think that's why it's so important. I've been kind of on the rant about this lately is no, me too. You know, sales we, we still predominantly we talk about sales enablement, sales operation. Important right. from an internal perspective, but if you yep. think about kind of what your process was and how you evolved to where the product is, you looked at it from the buyer standpoint is how do we get people through the process quicker? And it doesn't end after they write the first check. And Correct. I mean, we're starting to see, you know, at least I've had the number of guests that talk about, you know, sometimes their first C level hire in these startups is a customer success because, you know, investors wanna see you, you know, Thank keep customers. If you're churning customers, that's gonna be a problem. The reoccurring revenue. There's just so many themes that we talk SaaS, but I think Many more companies are going to start to adopt, figuring out how they get a reoccurring revenue I,
2: model. And so it comes back to the customers. So. I, I, I could tell you right now, Brett, one of our portfolio companies did a sizable transaction very, very recently. And the private equity group that came in to do the transaction, the first thing they did is called um, most of our key customers and asked them, how do you like working with company X? And the group was like, it's amazing. The people are awesome. They totally understand our needs. They're helping us grow, right? Like to your exact point, venture capital, private equity, they're all looking at, are your customers happy? And I I completely agree. And this all goes back to that churn and burn too. So many high growth companies are just cattle call of trying to get anybody and everybody into the gates. But the reality is, is you're churning a lot of them out and you're wasting a lot of resources when you're trying to, to, to grow your enterprise there. And so we're real adamant about you know doing it the right way taking them through the right sales process it's a consultative sale nowadays you know in sales process we like to use the word ghosting because that's like an equivalent of saying it wasn't my fault they're ghosting me well actually it's your fault if you're getting ghosted it means you haven't helped them connect the dots to the value chain or when they're talking about your product when you're not there They don't know how to present you to the different stakeholders, which might be somebody from compliance, which might be somebody from the CFO team or somebody from the ops team or somebody else. So you need to tee those individuals up for success. And so as you mentioned, a lot of these sales enablement tools were more how fast can we slap out a PowerPoint to a potential customer to close a transaction, when in reality, what the modern B2B buyer is looking for is a consultative sell. And as you know, Brett... These buyers are doing a tremendous amount of research online before they even reach out to you. They probably already narrowed it down to two or three companies by the time they reach out to you. And so now they're looking more for not just can you sling me some PowerPoints and tell me what your product does and take me through a demo. What they're really looking for is how can we create a partnership where you understand my business, you can help me generate value around them and understand my business as a whole and help me be more successful. And sometimes that's actually bringing your product in and maybe recommending two or three others to help them be more successful overall. They're looking for a consultative sell. And so how do you navigate that and communicate that to all the different stakeholders? As I mentioned, the lion's share of our clientele, you know, they're working with clients that have a lifetime value of more than 50,000, which in software sales is is not much at all. When you consider your client should at least be with you three to four years, depending on the industry or type that you're in. And so we once you get to that level, the amount of scrutiny on the buyer side now is astronomically high. And so how do you navigate that complex world is really what we've been working against by Quite frankly, talking to the buyers the most, and then bringing those tools and modules into our what we call workspaces to help bridge those people all together to help navigate that process.
1: Yeah, so good. And I think you know you mentioned it a few different ways, a few different times. But I want to go back to that a little bit. You know, where you're not selling anymore, right? You you had mentioned referred from others. They wanted to check how good the quality was, and the research is done and narrowed down by the time they're they're chatting with you. So there's like three instances right there, and that's not necessarily the buyer enablement part so they haven't necessarily engaged with you but that's right. another area where i think so many startups have a real opportunity to to jump the to jump the shark or you all know, yep. compared to legacy yep. companies that are not very good with their digital engagement and those types yep. of things so and i'd love to get your perspective on let's let's take it back and say all right i'm a newer company let's we can use you right as you yep. guys are starting to grow and i see your content starting to to get out there, you know, how should I start about, obviously as a CEO, you're engaging in quite a few of the sales calls, but now you're hitting a point of, all right, we want to grow this. So yeah.
2: talk us back to the the engagement yeah. awareness side and, and your thoughts and point of view. Yeah. On it. So, yeah. you know, kind of rule of thumb that I've always through a lot of the mentors that I've had of successful companies and stuff that the, the CEO or the leader sometimes gets too far disconnected too quick in in the process. So what I see for for a lot of startups that are successful is that the CEO is pretty intently involved in the first 50 to 75 sales of the product. Now you can normalize that depending on your price or the type of product you're selling, right? But ultimately, because as I've already noted in in this meeting, is that a lot happens, there's a lot of nuggets in those calls that that maybe a, a junior SDR of yours or a junior AE of yours wouldn't really pick up on. And as you know, Brad, it's what's not being said sometimes, which is much more important than what's being said. And so you need to be kind of thinking about that as the CEO on these sales calls, because that's how fast your product can evolve, right? By getting feedback, listening, asking follow-up questions. What do you mean by that? And so I've seen a lot of tendency in startups that they want to outsource everything, but I think it's okay to outsource. But you need to make sure that you're still involved in that process. You still need to be involved in the sale, so that you have your rubber and ear to the road to make sure that you're learning about how to better do your sales, better product enhancements, those things of nature. And then, of course, then scaling out your team accordingly around that, right? But as we've already mentioned, it really leads with client success. Like in our own Engage company, we brought on more client success people earlier and more often than we did salespeople, and then. And I've always said to our team, and it's kind of a funky line, but it's not how you use our product. It's how you use our product, right? And people are like, what? And I'm like, because it's not about demoing a product to people. It's providing them insights on how to use the product to best meet their use cases so that they can be more successful. That is a function of client success. And you've mentioned it multiple times now. That's where we've invested a ton in our early stages of the company is on that client success because we can go get new clients, but if we're atrocious at delivering and atrocious at making them successful, that's going to hurt us dramatically. So as a startup, you might be like, well, Joe, that's counterbalance to what I always hear about ramp up sales, ramp up sales. I'm not saying not to increase sales, but here's the deal. Your fastest sales and your fastest trust will come from the referrals from your current customers, referring you to five to 10 of their friends. And all of a sudden your pipeline is pretty full. So you got to sometimes think about success isn't about just hammering out 10 SDRs and building out an entire... Now, don't get me wrong. We are hiring SDRs. We're hiring five right now. We're doing everything. But also remember, it has to be a balanced strategy as you do that and the timing of it. When you have ultimate confidence in your delivery, your mechanisms, your metrics, then you can really hammer out the sales side. But we kind of we go a little bit slower to make sure we're delivering the right value and we understand how to frame that. And then you can get into that aggressive, aggressive sales growth. So just personally, not only from Proteus Engages, we're scaling, but then all of the companies we've been a part of, and then our investments, we've seen this. This you know, it takes time, and I think everybody in startup land kind of believes everything's going to happen in a day, and you know, in a year we're a unicorn and we're going to sell for a Instant billion. Instant
1: gratification.
2: Instant gratification. You know, a discipline and and sticking to the process, and and again, listening and making the right decisions, of course, are are, are key to that. So just a, a you know, and I and I say this with a lot of failure under the belt right this is not everything's been perfect and so so that that's kind of a lot where I come from from that perspective
1: yeah and so much good I'm going to dig into that this the scaling part here in a second because I want to get your opinion on something but the one thing you had mentioned that I just want to double click on if you will is you know CEO staying involved the founder staying involved in list I think there's a fine line between pivoting too much because one customer gives you feedback so exactly. I love your your perspective on how do you balance it right yeah. where you know you're still 80 20 maybe i mean yeah. how do you how do you balance yeah. it? Exactly.
2: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question and a death nail to a lot of startups. And and a lot of the times that comes to, they get the opportunity to to work with a special logo, as I like to call it. So your, your your company's starting up and then some really fancy logo that everybody in your family and friends would be like, holy cow, you guys are working with X. The only problem is X wants a whole lot of custom stuff. And quite frankly, then they're like, well, we don't want to pay you that much because we're X, we're company X, right? Yeah, and right, so right. you get into this double whammy scenario of building a ton of custom stuff that really isn't in line with the product and you're not getting paid a lot. And that's killed thousands and thousands and thousands of startups just getting getting stuck there. And whether it was from a financial perspective or dragging the product into its wrong goals, So what we've always done and we did with Engage is we started to expand our research between We started with obviously some trusted folks that we knew and would provide us candid feedback. But then I went on to interview more than 150 CISOs. Now it's hundreds more of people who were not friends, quote unquote, of Proteus or me or anybody so they had no vested interest of just making me feel good and really trying to align the product in that direction and always kind of looking at now when we say are we going to add this feature do we believe this feature is good for the greater whole of the product or is this going to take us down a path the other thing too is when we designed our product we designed our product with more of an open architecture, right? So people are doing tons of meetings, right? Zoom, go to me. Well, we're not going to build a meeting system, so we just integrate it with the top ones. So sometimes as you're scaling your product, what you want to think about is it's maybe thinking about the architecture of your product is really what you need to focus on. So you can bring in the best of breed solutions to meet those one-off client needs, but stay in your lane and do what you do really well and and own that. And I think that's the greatest thing I could, you know, pass along to a to another startup is 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 stay within that. We have a couple of pillars that we're like stay in our pillars. And if we stay in those pillars, we're going to be successful. And one of them is being seamless, which means making sure that we're open enough to be able to bring in. So we integrate with every CRM, right? We're not going to make our own CRM. There's proliferation of great CRMs out there. So we just plug in right on top, seamlessly, great opportunities for us. So that's the way that we like to handle that challenge and, and stay in our lane so we can be successful.
1: Yeah, no, such, such good advice. And it is, it is a balancing act, right? Because oh, you too far in on one path, you may miss it. But the fancy logo. I mean, it's I mean, to borrow. Well, and, and it's
2: resource management too, right? Yeah. Most startups have limited engineering resources or limited sales resources. It's basically limited everywhere. Hence, a startup, right? So it, they're typically limited. And so, what really becomes the problem is, is your high energy top people, and usually the CEO is drug into those deals because it's a big logo or a large opportunity. So you've got to really look at it. It's not just. It's just not the product being off track. It's all of your top talent working really for somebody else instead of really working on growing your business, which was your commitment to them. So forget about the money. Forget about all that. Go back to the simple promise you made to your team that we're going to take a swing at this and, and realize that it's your time and your top people's time being drug away that's the thing you if you want to if you want to level set yourself and make yourself feel good about it no one ever feels good of going to a big client and saying we're not going to do it for you whatever but here's the thing a lot of them if you actually tell them the why correctly that this is what we do best this is what we're going to do and maybe we can plug this in a lot of them will agree to that right they're just going to ask until you say no and a lot of times the, the the owners or the leaders are afraid to say no and a lot of times it's the graceful no right as you know brad it's not no it's well, here's our product path. Here's our product plan. We could maybe integrate with this or do something to quasi appease your special needs, but we want to do that in a way that might help our other clients. And a lot of times they'll be like, that's great. We'll, we'll totally do that.
1: Right. No, it makes so much sense. I'm glad we we dug into that a little bit, but now transitioning back to the the scale, because I think this yeah. is where a lot of companies get stuck. And frankly, you know, interviews with founders, you know, that have gone, you know, let's call the $10 million mark, right? It's getting past a million is a feat in itself, but getting to 10, all of a sudden you've got to have things clicking and it's not just a yep. one-to-one hand-to-hand combat anymore. But yep. you know, where my thinking has kind of evolved, you know, I used to be the traditional, you know, sales and marketing guy, this is the way you do it. But I think to get to the scale, and let me before I get to the scale, the one, you know, just to reinforce what I what I've heard is most of these companies you know, when they were going through their growth, growth evolution hit a plateau.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for the like me, could never really figure out, nail what was consistent about those plateaus. But as it turns out, hearing from the founders themselves, it was, hey, we ran out of my network or the co-founders network yeah. of who they could sell into. And so yeah. they had folks that knew them, knew they had a problem, they can make that sell but also now you got to reach kind of what you're talking about into a, a new universe of prospects that may yep. or may not know you may or may not know they have a problem and so you got to balance you know, on one side the digital awareness and so people get to know you But I think there's channels that are under appreciated for the ability to scale one being the the referral network right I mean remember back in my enterprise sales day, it was, hey, it's part of a contract, you know, can you refer us to, or can, no, it wasn't even referral, it was a testimonial, right? It yeah, was in yeah. the contract, but now it's, you know, if, hey, if you really love our product, I love, you know, is there two other people you can introduce it's
0: a really hard
1: time asking for it, but guess what? You're going to scale a lot quicker that way yep. through soft and warm referrals than yep. than that. So I, I'd love to get your perspective. Yeah,
2: no, that's a that's a that's a great secret sauce for a lot of startups, and I appreciate you bringing that one up because I'm a big fan of it. And so what happens is, is you might have clients, especially in the early stage of the startup, where you do get a a client that knows kind of you're an early stage startup, and they're like, okay, you want to sell me your product for twenty five grand you know, a year, maybe we'll pay you 10, will you take 10 grand a year, right? And the you know, the founders are like, well, geez, that's, that's a lot of money off. And they're eager to say yes, just because of the big logo. But I always like to try to convert that extra 15,000 into high value things for you and your company. So like you said, testimonials, videos, introductions, joint webinars, being able to speak at an event for them, doing all sorts of co-branding to generate you additional leads to, to drive success. That, that's a, that's a big secret nugget that costs nothing. And most of the time the clients are very, very open to doing that which can really unlock because like you said ultimately a lot of companies do kind of plateau a little bit because the the rolodex of the of the leadership team is kind of exhausted and they're like what do we do now and so i I like to not wait till it's it's exhausted so a lot of times we're using obviously a network of our leadership team to kind of get things started but as i mentioned i started then interviewing people that were not in our network because i wanted to get true validation there and then we immediately right from basic Let's say month six in, we actually created a reseller program. So we have agencies all over the country and resellers all over the country that refer us in on opportunities. We have referrals coming in from our customers because our client success team does a great job, again, going back into a great function of client success can be teeing up those relationships for opportunities for referrals and for other opportunities to come across your desk. So we, and then of course, we're doing traditional formal outbound SDRing and the full kind of traditional sales cadence. So we did not wait long to actually turn on all those elements, because it helps provide you that balanced scorecard where you're not risking everything on the SDRs are going to bring it to win it, right? You have a balanced scorecard of, look, we're getting referrals from current customers. We're doing events that we're getting stuff in, right? We got resellers bringing in opportunities. Our SDRs are bringing in opportunities. And a lot of times for a CEO or a startup, it's not just that those activities are happening. It's that you're hearing messaging and what they're saying about your product and stuff earlier, so that you can course correct packaging or, or messaging or whatever it might be, you're actually getting a lot of feedback, because all these different kind of folks are presenting your stuff to other people, and they're getting questions. And then you're like, well, why are they getting that question? You you know where I'm going at. And so, yeah, so yeah. that ecosystem of data coming back to you is extremely, extremely valuable for creating success in a, in, a, in a kind of growth company there. Yeah, no, so much good advice and value in that. And
1: yeah, I mean to be respectful of your time, but I do want to <laughs> dig in just a little bit. You know, I keep taking us down a few rabbit holes. But, you know, I think one of the, the the big mistakes I see founders make is when they're looking to, I and mean, again when you say scale the business, but rapidly grow the business, depending on how you want to define that, is really look at where you're gonna get the most reach, right? Because I think the default a lot of the time is hey, I'm gonna hire a sales rep, which again, I'm not saying don't. But when you think about the output of a sales rep and, in, you know, the case of an SDR, you know, it's still, that's still hand-to-hand combat, right? They may be able to do well, hit their quota, but the, you're not going to 10X your business unless you're going to hire 150 of these folks and that's really hard. So think about the opportunities and think about, you know, maybe what I would call non-traditional tactics for B2B, which, you know, it's the referrals. It could be affiliates, right? I think uh-huh. think of affiliates, it has to be e-commerce. No, you could there's other ways to do this with people, you know, they'll call it maybe influencer marketing, but I still think it's, done right, it's more of an
2: affiliate type of a program. Strategic partner program. So like we we leverage a a very strong, successful SaaS product ourselves inside of our product. And I just met with the CEO and leadership team about how we could do things together because they love what we're working against and doing that. And this company has thousands of customers, right? And so, like you said, a lot of it is you kind of have to have, you know, the old don't have all your eggs in one basket, right? Like you can't put all the eggs of sales into the SDR basket, right? You need to have these five to seven strategies that you're doing, going out there, affiliates, referrals, uh, channel partners, you know, strategic product partners, all of these things going, so that you're basically building a gigantic qualified funnel. And more, and most importantly, they're coming in much more trusted. Right? They're not a, a typical top of the value or funnel and like MQL or anything like that. They're really by most of the, most of what we get are, are very strong SQL level where the group is kind of already like, yeah, we totally like, and you know, the direction that you're going here, let's learn more. Right. And yeah. so they're coming in much more trusted, much more open to, to to dialogue and so I, I agree it's it's especially in an early stage company where you might not have the capital to like you said ramp up 100 sdrs to to really kind of in it to win it and so you know that that methodology i completely agree upon and again it's one of the other caveats to that though i i would like a lot of startup partners to understand is is also look at your current client base cuz a lot of times what what people when they first launch their company, they're 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 kind of signing almost any kind of vertical and any kind of client, right? Like we we got a manufacturing yes. client here, a healthcare client here, a a plumber company here, right? Like all of this disparate. But what you start to see is probably a rhythm over time. As you start to get enough clients, really understanding your segmentation there and the why around that, why they're buying, which can really hone your messaging, hone your, again, strategies of who to partner with. Maybe using the plumber one as an example, maybe you're selling to a lot to plumbers. Well, little did you know there are three great software products that all plumbers use in the country to run their businesses. Well, you want to know those three companies because maybe you want to partner with them or align with them and you see where I'm getting at here a yeah. lot of times it's it's understanding how the product is being used maybe by certain verticals and then researching the why around that and then aligning the who. and then you can even get stronger referrals, stronger opportunities, stronger relationships within that more push down segment. you know because uh, sometimes it's tough when you're like a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you want to kind of bring that down so that you can be industry specific solution. Yeah,
1: no, and that's that's really good advice and oversimplifying again, you know, the riches and the niches and you know, I share that same advice that, hey, get really good in one of the niches and then
2: expand, right? Or and so then expand. Exactly. Creative. You might not be able to take on all six all at once. So figure out which one your product or service is the strongest in, which is probably going to make your sales cycle dramatically drop to shorter and then kind of rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, get really good at that. And then take that entire process that you've just done within that first vertical and now do the next two and maybe the next three, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe you don't need to, maybe maybe that vertical is really the vertical you're supposed to Be in. We're learning ourselves. We have a lot of tech clients. So, SaaS technology companies was kind of where we started, and we're still growing extensively there. But then all of a sudden we started to have a lot of professional services companies and consulting companies coming to us because their problem was completely different. They were peak and valleying on contracts. Yeah. They weren't reoccurring revenue like SaaS. It was more, we, our pipe is very dynamic and we need to maintain our current clients so that we can get projects from current clients. Completely different problem. Our, our our product was solving that problem, but we didn't mind map it to necessarily professional services like that. So now we have a ton of professional services clients. You see how I kind of, the, the knowledge of of that is what is providing us the opportunity to be even better and smarter for those types of clients.
1: Yeah. And I think you just, you know, tying it back to full circle with messaging and positioning and you know, it's got to be specific to that that target audience. You can't talk to a plumber the same way you're talking to a roofer. Right? It exactly. seems like
2: very similar, but they speak very different languages. Very different languages. Yep. Their concerns, their worries, their, their, everything is different, right? Absolutely everything is different. And so having that little bit of nomenclature and then more importantly, three or four use cases of how you've directly impacted a peer of theirs that they have. They're like, oh, okay, game on. You kind of know. Because, you know, everybody starts the conversation with, Brett, we're different than everyone else you work with. And you're like, oh, come on. Like, I get it in spirit, but usually it's about 20% different. The 80 is still the same. Yeah. So it's about understanding that 10 to 20% difference. Then once you understand that, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. And then that builds instant trust and confidence, which again, in a complex sale process is really what everybody's looking for.
1: Yeah, it's it's critical. And I think even tying this back full circle where we started the conversation with buyer enablement, it's really taking outside in look at, That process and if you're focused internally on hey, how do I enable my sales reps to do this and market again important, but how do you enable the buyer to use your product up front before you even get there and then internally are you providing the right resources to help them through that process. That's
2: fundamentally different than the way we were kind of brought up. I know. I know. And and it's the old internal champ. And like I always say, you know, find your internal champ. Well, great. What do you do with the internal champ after you find him? Like, are you equipping him and her for success? How are you defending them when you're not in the room, right? When they have three more meetings talking about your product, how does him or her present you guys? How does she align the, the key stakeholders needed to get this over the line? It's completely buyer-centric right now. It is, you're there to help the buyer. It, you, you're not there to sell the buyer. You're there to help the key person solve their problem, you know, and it's a complete shift. And to your point, it's the long run too. It's a a long, it's a long run play. Uh, It is not, you know, short. I, I always think long, always think long in these kinds of transactions because maybe not today, but, you know, recently we've had multiple contracts come through that we had talked to people more than a year ago, you know, and their timing and buying wasn't right. And then all of a sudden, you know, we've been nurturing them and communicating them through our platform, and then they're like, "It's game on, Joe." The timing is right now. The, the things have aligned. So, so it's it's really about providing that value, really provide value and meaningful information for them, and they'll they'll reward you for that at some point.
1: Yep, hundred percent. Right, it's trust the process and make sure again, be the, even with the SDR world, right. A lot of them just churn and burn and say hey oh not interested click hang up where you know you get an opportunity to create some of that awareness that maybe six months but nobody's looking. everybody's quotas due next month so nobody's yep. thinking about six months so you and better. at the one point i'll i'll, I'll end on this because i think it'll tie it back even further is i do get feedback from what i would call really good sales reps or enterprise sales reps that hey this is this is what we've been doing we quarterback deals we align resources we provide the tools I'm like, yes, you do on a very one-off basis or two or three deals at a time. The whole key is for your organization to be doing that even when you're not there. So digitally, can your processes support people who are going through it? And maybe not your enterprise deals, but the mid-market that, you know, it's going to have to be more done offline or I guess online in that case and non-conversational. So I think it's just taking what really good enterprise sales reps have known all along in basically digitizing and, and automating that as much as possible.
2: Uh, you hit it right on the head. That's actually the shift that has happened. You know, this, this selling style was typically for deals over a half a million or more, right? Like, of course, if it's worth a half a million, you got three to five people on the selling side and eight to 10 decision makers on the buying side, of course, right? That That's an enterprise sale. You've been, you like you said, you've been coached up to that level of selling, right? That's the epitome of salesmanship is, is getting to that, to that level. The challenge is, is that expectation has now been brought down to products that are sold for 12 grand a year and that's the that's the shift that's the shift in a a nugget right and and people and so you got a junior sdr and a junior ae that is now talking to the cio the cfo and the ceo and a whole c-suite a a lawyer everybody on a transaction on a twelve thousand dollar product how do you create consistency in that communication trust all of that, you know, uh, that's the big shift. That is what is is killing a ton of deals right now, is because the reps are still wired as do you want to buy this or not? I can give you a discount if you buy by November eighteenth, kind of methodologies. And that yep. is not what is gonna <laughs> get it over the line. You no, know, not anymore. Not if there's alternatives and there are
1: alternatives and yep. You know, like I said, I, I do want to be really respectful of your time. Yeah. And, you know, I think we'll have, I'd love to have a part two of this conversation where, you know, we've talked about how it's shifted and changing and some of the things that we're doing. I think there's probably another you know, 45 minutes we could spend <laughs> on, on how to uh, approach it. So, you know, maybe at the uh, the start of the year, once we get through, I'd love to bring you back and, and go deeper in, in some of these areas. Because I think it's so important and such a competitive advantage for startups to to be able to, to leverage this mentality and this approach and it's they're not finding a lot of resources that tell them how to do this right now because nope. it's still sales marketing and yep. customer success yep. build your silos and so anyway yep good um, yep 100 I, I appreciate it You have got two questions that i end every podcast with and, yeah. you know, the first one is you know what's next for you and the team as we
2: we round out the year here yeah and head into next year yeah we we've had a you know a, a blessed year where we continue to grow so we're continuing to scale you know, uh, really growing out, like I said, uh, we're growing out our sales teams, growing out our client success. Really, we're growing in all ways, all ways. We are building out our customer advisory board uh, officially right now in, in Q4. So that that's officially good. So I never really gave up. As I mentioned <laughs> at the beginning, I, I, I truly believe in it. So we're rolling out our own cab right now with our clients. We've been doing it informally a lot, but we're actually formalizing it now so we can reward and identify, you know, folks around that. So for us, we're, we're really just consistently growing now. I mean, just disciplined growth, though, uh, again, metered growth, most importantly, making sure we're generating value to our customers. And, and, you know, one of the things that that some of the environmental changes within the, the country related to, you know, sales not being able to be face-to-face and stuff, we see a lot of our clients right now, focusing a lot on capital preservation, meaning they're using our tool to communicate to their current customers and kind of starting to work those relationships, even new business relationships for really having a strong 2021 mid-year. And a lot of our clients are talking about 2022 already. And so how are they teeing themselves up for success in the next 24 months? It's about building those relationships today, which a lot of your listeners know, maybe the client can't pull the trigger on buying the product now but you're building that relationship and trust that they can eight months from now, maybe even 18 months from now. And so a lot of groups are really focusing on doubling down on those relationships, including ourselves. We're doing it using our tool, obviously. And then all of our clients are to really create that opportunity for 21, 22. So that's, those are really the two main focuses we got going on right now.
1: Awesome. Fantastic. And, and last but not least, the question I ask everybody is what is one thing, Joey, you would highly recommend, and it could be Personal or professional? Yeah,
2: you know, for me, you know, maybe it's just because I I like to be in the trenches a little bit. I I I always feel like don't lose don't lose the connection with the end user. Now I'm very very lucky because we drink our own Kool Aid. We use our own tool to do B two B sales. So a lot of people don't use their own product. Um, Right. So their company has built a product for somebody else. So you're not in your own product every day. And if that's the case, I encourage you to figure out ways that you can be engaged with the product, no pun intended, but engaged with your product so that you don't lose that connection to the end user. Find ways to have that. Because for me, it's, it's always about maybe generation one, two, three of your product is really good and it's being successful, but maybe the customers are saying all sorts of things to help you with new features and ideas for three, four, five new versions of the product or, or seismic opportunities that you might be missing out on. So it's kind of like never lose never lose that connection. I, I, I truly, I was talking to another group the other day and a very, very successful, basically chief customer officer for a huge organization. And uh, I said to her, I really like your style. And she's she's like, well, here's the deal. I still maintain some clients, right? So she's chief client officer and she still has clients underneath her. And she is directly doing meetings with clients, training them. Understanding them, and she's like, Joe, I never want to lose that connection because that's what really helps us be grounded in how can we create more opportunities and, and more value for them. And so if I, if that is one takeaway, I, I really feel like that that's critical as your company because there's a lot of pressure as a sales leader or a CEO to not be involved in a lot of things. And I get that, and you got to be doing what you're supposed to be doing the girly org, but figure out a way to still maintain that connection. Yeah, no, that's such really good advice.
1: And I don't know if you noticed, but you actually gave us two little pieces of wisdom there and one I just you know and double back just quickly on is you know using your own product or used to be eat your own dog food or you want to go in the upscale drink your own wine type of a coach but you know you I think you used to be able to get away with not doing that but I think yep. the first question either an investor or a potential customer is like oh are you using your own product and if you say no then if it's not good enough for you right I mean, it sounds super simple and I get it because you're so focused on the build out and making sure they're to de- but figure yep. out a way to at least incorporate into your business model as yep. as you're doing, especially in the B2B and you're supporting other B2B yep. and a little thing, but <laughs> you're going to be asked. If you haven't been, you will be. It's that that time's coming. So no, that's awesome. Yep. And that's a new, you know, after 80 plus episodes, that's the first time I've had that response. But, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, customer customer, advocate, customer connections. So yep. I think awesome. it makes perfect sense. So Great. Joey, if there's folks that want to find you and connect with you outside of this, what's the best place for them to find sure. you? Sure.
2: Lots of resources, white papers, podcasts, uh, lots of resources around buyer enablement, the why all at our corporate site, www.proteus.co and tons of information there that you can sign up for webinars, all sorts of stuff that kind of really explain the why uh, around all of this again, just like in B2B sales, like we're not convincing anybody. It's, it's understanding that the shift is happening. And how are you best equipped uh, to, uh, to handle that? So yeah, love great resources there. I encourage everybody to check them out. And they can reach connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn, Joseph Connect at LinkedIn, Proteus, any, anywhere you're out on our site, you'll you'll be able to get connections to our leadership team beyond myself also. If you have a client success idea or really any kind of feedback, our team is always, you know, we we're in the spirit of helping people grow. That's awesome. And I, I can't
1: leave this podcast without mentioning you may have the best. And it's not a stage name, Joey Connect.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> not the business not. likes to connect with customers. And it is K N E C T. right, K N E C H T. My my dad was a police officer in New York. My mom worked in the schools. They had no idea about the software. Yeah. So no, no idea.
1: <laughs> All right, Joe, I really appreciate it. Thank you again for taking the time. Awesome. Have a have a appreciate great
2: it, rest of your day. Thanks, sir. All right, cheers.